I appreciate you being here, Thomas. And I think um, I think we're due on the calendar to get a cup of coffee sometime over the next couple of days. So I'll be seeing you again here soon after the Zoom. So thanks for your time uh, in both cases. So you're the CEO of Integro Bank. Do you want to explain uh, real quick kind of what you guys are up to there and maybe share your one-liner or your, your focus if it, the one-liner is not totally dialed in yet? Sure. We are a technology-based bank focused on helping small business uh, grow their revenues and maximize employment. And we do that with three key differentiators. Number one is the strength and diversity of our team. We have 43 people who have invested 5.3 million of their own capital. Number two, we have a very proprietary service that we call Integro 360. And then number three, we have the Integro Bank CEO Club, and I'm happy to explain each of those in a little bit more detail later. Great. And um, if you were to, so when I hear about the CEO Club, and I know the bank is being formed to kind of be a, a tech-enabled bank that's going to be serving CEOs and business owners, it just makes me automatically think that your investor avatar would then be that same person, perhaps. Can you comment on who, who you're planning to be raising the capital from going forward now and how many of those people are CEOs and what that investor target looks like? That's correct. We, we view it as two main investor avatar groups. And the first is exactly as you described it. It's our hope that the business owners in the community uh, have an opportunity to be the co-owner of their own bank. So we're appealing to them, their interest in our proprietary offerings for them to become an investor. And we call it the three C's. They can be a co-owner of the bank, they can participate in the CEO club, and then ultimately become customers to the bank as well. So that's the first avatar. The second would be more uh, accredited investors uh, that like that story, who are interested in um, helping small business, and view this as a favorable investment. Okay. And how many of your investors, since you're based in, in Phoenix, um, how many of your investors are based in Phoenix as well versus how many are from the finance industry so they understand you know, uh, banks and why they would want to invest in a bank? Can you comment on those two segments? Yeah, sure. I'd say 70% of the investors presently are from the local Phoenix area. And the remainder are uh, people throughout the United States. We have a very high concentration of people who have banking and finance and accounting backgrounds. Banking is very heavily regulated. All of our board members, for example, have to go through FBI background checks and be approved. So each of our board members were handpicked and carefully selected because of their experience and the contributions that they could make to the board. Right. Okay. And um, I remember when we spoke last, you said something about having an investor portal right on your website to help with the capital raise. Can you talk about how hard that was to set up or expensive or challenging regulatory wise to set up and if that's been helpful or not? Yeah, we believe we're the first bank in the United States, you know, viewing ourselves as a digital bank. We thought we needed to make a statement on the front end in terms of how we raised capital. So you're right. We, we built a digital platform. It's been difficult from the standpoint of others in the fintech space have done this as non-banks. 
but as a bank being heavily regulated, getting through the regulatory processes, we did have we did have to go through a review process, um, and then integrating it into our own website. They, it was challenging. Uh, we're through that process. It works. We uh, all of our current investors have been through it. Uh, and it's up and it's running and you can just go to integrobank.com and select become an investor and you'll register and you'll actually be able to invest online. And then interestingly, we solved another challenge and that was the ability of investors who are not accredited, who may want to invest their IRA. And so we actually have an online process where they can uh, establish a new IRA or use their existing IRA to invest IRA proceeds. Right. Great. Yeah. I thought that was unique. I took note of that here. So that's a pretty smart move because there's these self-directed IRA platforms out there that have tens of thousands of investors on their platform. Most of them will never get the chance to invest in a bank during their whole life. And being able to do that through their self-directed IRA could be a unique opportunity for them. So how are you navigating that space specifically? Are there any specific channels or communications that you have going out to identify self-directed IRA account holders? Or is it more when someone's looking to invest, you could kind of remind them, hey, if you want to self-direct your IRA, that could be a way for you to invest. Is it more of that? I think it's the latter, but we're certainly open to any ideas or suggestions you might have on how we would go after that, uh, that digital marketplace, people that maybe have invested in other companies and didn't even know, like you said, that they had an opportunity to invest in a bank. We, I'd be certainly interested in pursuing that. Right. Great. Well, we have um, relationships with uh, Cama Plan uh, that has 10,000 plus investors on their self-directed IRA platform, and uh, they invested in commercialrealestate.com with us. Uh, we also have a relationship with uh, Quest Trust. Um, they have um, between 20 and 30,000 investors on their self-directed IRA platform. And I think they're going to be at our Dallas Private Investor Summit uh, coming up. And then another one we've spoken to many times, I think we've been on a webinar or podcast with them is Mainstar Trust. And they have 80,000 investors on their platform. And um, your, your offering is so unique. Um, I bet you that they have not had a bank um, on their, you know, present to their investors or get exposure to their investors before. So might just be something to um, connect with them on. We can chat about that when we have coffee tomorrow or whenever that is on our calendar that we, that we set up. But um, that's, that's a takeaway for anyone here. Um, it can be a source of raising capital in two ways. You can go to a platform and try to get exposure to their investors. Or when you're talking to investors and they have money, they say, oh, I don't have any you know, liquidity right now to invest, well, they might feel like their airline and, you know, Marriott hotel stocks have recovered decently uh, since the bottom of COVID last March, April, and they might not want all of their money in in public market funds and stocks, et cetera. And they might be able to convert some of that money into self-directed IRA and put into a deal like this, right? You know, that's an incredible idea, Richard. I look forward to following up with you at Coffee. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that in your materials because that wasn't going to come up today with anyone else in the hot seats. So um, that's great that you guys uh, have that. Um, I was looking through the deck, uh, some feedback. Um, you know, on the color scheme, it's a tough color scheme to pull off, but it is it is different from most stuff that I most decks that I see. Um, I think on slide 
I think slide 13. Let me try to, um, is it okay if I open the deck up? Absolutely. Okay, we won't go through each page. Um, just wanted to look at slide 13, I think it was. Okay. Um, but there's just one, there's one or two slides that just could use some touch up graphic design wise in terms of it being a little bit uh, fuzzy on the slide. This Integro slide here is probably just a copy paste of a graphic from something else. When it got copy pasted, it got a little fuzzy. It was just one note that I wrote down. The process diagram uh, they have on here, I thought was good. Um, have it down below here. And I also wrote down a note about, oh, I had a question about the $5 million you guys have been able to raise to date. Um, can you talk a little bit about that process and um, how long that took and any insights or lessons for others that you learned while going through that recently? Yeah, I would describe it as a friends and families. Uh, it was a combination of people who were slated to serve on the board, which is one group. Right. And then we call the second group founders. Um, and the common denominator I found was those who bought into the mission statement and, and had an emotional connection. And so the idea of helping small business grow and increase employment, and when we looked around after COVID, and we saw the devastating effects on small business. And then I told stories to the group about how I was the first person in my family to be able to graduate from college. And it was early in life, starting as early as age nine, delivering newspapers at 4.30 in the morning before school, flipping hamburgers at 16, and then running out of money after my first semester of college and then having to get another. So three consecutive small jobs, uh, uh, jobs at small businesses, transformed my life. And then by sharing that story with others, I found that it really resonated, that when they look mm -hmm. back on their life, they all had similar stories of the impact that small business. And so we had this sense that we, we really have to give back and we have to help out that community in some way to the mm -hmm. point where they were willing to invest. So people started writing checks and getting committed. And so cumulatively, we now have 42 founders that are either board members or in this founder group uh, that have contributed. Um, the other takeaway was, I would say every one of them turned me down at least two or three times initially. <laughs> so persistence really paid off, <laughs> checking back, showing the progress that we made and the successes and the caliber of people that we were able to recruit to the team became very impressive um, and became easier and easier for, for people to say yes. Yeah, that's great. I'd heard you say before, that you're out to help small businesses, but you see that on every citizen bank, you know, regional bank, regions bank sign and billboard everywhere. But when you tell it as a story, it makes a big difference. And I think that's a insight for some people to take away from here is that you found that telling that story made a difference. And I, I found that just listening to you right now compared to the last time that we chatted for a couple minutes. Um, also, you pointed out being kind of politely persistent um, were you following up via email or phone or in-person? Obviously, you succeeded in those follow-ups when most people said no, and you kept on following up and got them to a yes. So what did that process look like in terms of mode of communication on that? Well, this was all during COVID, so 90% of that was raised without ever having met face-to-face. -face. So email, uh, Zoom, 
phone calls. We had a few brave souls that still wanted to meet face to face, and I was willing to do that. So we had coffee and you know okay. at local restaurants, things like that. But it was very, very much digital. Right. Right. Great. Okay. And we had a question from one of the participants here about cryptocurrencies. Is there any um, handling or will there be any way for your bank to deal with investors or business owners that are in the crypto space? I, Not initially. So um, it's an interesting question, though. Um, but our attorney advised us that uh, you need to get regulatory approval, which means for the first three years of the bank's existence, you have to propose a pretty conservative business plan that's likely to get approval. Right. So we actually had to state within our business plan that within the first three years that we do not anticipate any cryptocurrency type activity. So the short okay. answer to that is no. Now, after we're past that first three years, then all the regulatory requirements loosen and then you know we can pursue those activities at a later date. Right, right. Makes sense. And what would you say is your number one uh, opportunity right now and then your, your number one challenge? Well, we just literally are transitioning today from our friends and family and opening it up to our broader investor space. So our number one focus today is all the distribution channels. So whether it be email, video, these types of activities, uh, face-to-face presentations, investor presentations. So those are all being scheduled uh, as we speak. Um, The challenge is uh, standing out as a bank that's decommoditized in what we perceive to be a very commoditized market. All banks are the same. They all take deposits. They all make loans. But we truly, when, when people take the time to really understand our offerings, which we believe are quite unique, uh, we believe that we have a path to decommoditizing uh, our service, which allows us to compete on something other than price, which makes us different and unique among banks. And we believe at the end of the day that will contribute to higher profit margins uh, for our investors. Right. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and it, it is a, there are a lot of banks out there and business owners that can go through your, your process to help them get evaluation, et cetera, might be ones that allow you to back into valuable clients, I guess. People generally care more about their valuation when they think about potentially selling or getting leverage on an asset typically, right? Well, that's right. And, you know, you, you mentioned earlier in this uh, broadcast that uh, the investors, the, their most precious thing is time. Well, for us to tell the story of how we're going to decommoditize banking, it's not a it's not a five or ten second soundbite. You know, we need to have their attention for a, a short period of time to tell them the story about Integra 360 and the CEO Club. And then usually, once they hear the story, they reach agreement that yeah, that truly is a differentiator. So it's just finding a clever way with a hook to grab their attention so that they allocate a short period of time so that we can tell the story. Sure. And then um, right now, are there some associations or networks or clubs that you've been involved in, in addition to the Family Office Club, um, to help with raising that capital? Is there any uh, networks that you're looking at using for that in the Phoenix area that we could trade notes on or anything um, network-wise nationally that you guys are involved in to help with raising the capital? Well, we're in the early stages of that, but I will tell you about an interesting experience. So nine months ago, I reached out to every nonprofit uh, in this area, dozens, 
that focus on helping small business, thinking that they would embrace the idea and be willing to help. And what I found out was none of them were willing to help because their sponsors, the people who actually keep those nonprofits alive, are the large banks. And they didn't want to offend their large bank sponsors. And so here you have this really unusual situation in Phoenix where the ecosystem that claims to be focused on helping small business is opting purposely not to help a small business bank because they want to preserve their relationships with the large banks. Right. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Is there, um, is there any way with all the regulations around this and uh, to have people who invest get a preferred savings account or a preferred rate of return on their checking account or a preferred loan terms or something like that with Integral Bank? Is there something there or has it just become a mess? So that's a great question. Um, the answer, short answer is yes, but not with rates. Remember, we don't want to compete on rates. So if we, right. if we gave a rate teaser, we wouldn't have a very sticky uh, customer base because as soon as there's a better rate, they're going to go somewhere else. But the, te- sure. the what we have as a hook is the CEO club. Okay. And so the idea is if any investor that invests a minimum of 25000 we'll get a complimentary membership into the CEO club. And so we've done some research on about a half a dozen CEO clubs out there. And on average, they're charging $10,000 a year for their members to belong. Whereas being a member of what we hope will be three or four or 500 person CEO and owners club, it's a great way to be able to interact and network with other business owners and share best practices uh, and they would get that on a complimentary basis for an investment of 25000 or larger. And then to provide an incentive for people to invest above that minimum, 25000 is our minimum. Mm-hmm. We have a tiered level, like a silver, gold, platinum. And as people invest higher amounts, up to 100000 or more is the highest level, they can become a platinum investor. And the 20-person advisory board that will manage the affairs of the CEO club will be selected from among the platinum level. And so people have an incentive if they like the idea of being on this advisory board, which is somewhat prestigious affiliated with the bank, um, that there'll be a little incentive to go from 25,000, perhaps up to 100,000. Right, right. Yeah, makes sense. Um, Yeah, the CEO club idea sounds like it could um, be excellent. So I've been involved with many business owner and CEO clubs, and um, I guess part of this will be having guest speakers and networking events and just making it a real community so that people stay engaged and stay active, and that's going to keep them loyal to the bank. That's part of the strategy and in, in building that out so that you don't have to go and pay $10,000 a year to EO because we're going to have the same quality of speakers and we're going to have the networking Etc. And it's not going to be exactly like Vistage or YPO or EO or whatever. Any of these other ones will be different, but it'll be a similar type value that will just be embedded by having the relationship with you guys, right? It's correct. It's a similar value, but we would argue in a greater value because we throw in Integro 360. And the two things that they'll get with Integro 360 that they won't get with any of those other CEO clubs is there's two key benefits of Integro 360. Every business owner gets a free annual business valuation. Okay. And we distribute free peer data, which okay. is financial performance information. And for small businesses, there's really no company out there 
that's making either of those items available. Right. Yeah, I think this is a good insight for other people listening here is that sometimes you might want to get involved with some business owner clubs or professional associations for a demographic that's your key target investor. Other times you might want to create your own investor club, and it could be a manufacturer, manufacturing industry investors club. And it could be national, it could be regional, it could be statewide. You could create a California you know, self-storage investor club, or you could create a... Um, you know, something that's very specific to, to lawyers or attorneys, et cetera. Um, but I think it's, uh, it's great to hear that you are doing that. We've had one, one of our 120 pitchdex.com clients has done a similar thing. Instead of marketing their investment firm, they manage an investor club and then they run that investor club to generate relationships mm-hmm. to close them on their investment firm. And it's a little bit of an indirect approach. Um, but it allows them to kind of have people come in and get to know them first, which they need to do anyways before investing. So I think it's smart what you guys are doing. Obviously, I'm a believer since we run an investor club, right? So obviously, uh, but it's, it works for us and it's been productive and it's great to see that you're, you're doing that as well. Um, any last questions for me um, related to materials or challenges or um you know, pitch decks or what to put into a, a one-page teaser. I know we covered in, in many of the other uh, feedback sessions here today, but anything specific that you'd want to ask about that we could address here before we finish up? Uh, well, we're still trying to finalize the messaging for each of those two avatars. We've, we've gone through a couple drafts and we're, we're still debating internally in terms of what are the best uh, one-liners uh, for each of those two avatars. Okay, great. Um, happy to to think that over. And the two avatars, the one would be the the CEO avatar, and the other one would just be the wealthy investor that wants to be involved in owning the bank, right? That's right. Um, okay. And on the on the CEO side, I know many of those um, professionals would uh, be the type that would be strapped for time and 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 they would care more about the evaluation part that would come out of that intake row three sixty process. But when going to a CEO um, who may want to invest in a bank, I'm guessing that's a relatively foreign thing to many people. What does it mean to own part of a bank? Like you said, it might have a little bit of kind of a prestige angle to it, but a lot of people don't know like, oh, does that mean I'm going to get X or Y? Does that mean that something's going to become easier when I need to get underwritten for real estate loan or something? And, And I guess part of this is communicating that community of CEOs and that you already have 30 or 40 gathered as investors, at least. Um, so I'm happy to put some extra thought in that as well um, for the next time we meet up. But um, I guess thinking about why the other uh, C- why the other CEOs who have invested have said yes, and maybe it was that story storytelling piece that you brought up earlier had some yeah. component to it, um, or maybe maybe I'll dial in on something else, but um, it, it'll be interesting to see what you come up with because some people will try to get one a one-liner that's really dialed in on CEOs, but it at least won't totally alienate the non-CEOs um, if you think that 70% of the capital is going to be writ, uh, uh, raised from business owners then maybe it's best just to have one one-liner that's super dialed in, but then you're keeping that secondary demographic in mind. 
uh, that might be one thing to to consider. Um, and I know you did a good job of mentioning already in your materials that you've already raised the 5.2 million or whatever that that number was from 40 plus investors. That kind of stood out to me as you already have have that good level of momentum. So I think you're doing a good job on mentioning that that social proof component. Thank you. 